Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. But rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia, which is where we're recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So our topic for today is, do I need a succession plan? And um, uh, I, I'm intrigued by this topic for a number of reasons. Uh, one, as, as things have sort of worked out, I, I'm doing a lot of work in the succession planning area and the dynastic wealth or intergenerational wealth um, preservation area and, and developing strategies to, to execute that, figuring out what works, what doesn't, and, and helping families build governance around that so that we don't have the issues of the so-called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves phenomenon where wealth made in one generation is typically gone by generation three. And, uh, and the podcast that was released in the week before this one, we had Chris Dimitrion talking about establishing a family office, which is one vehicle that is often used to, to do that. And so this is an area that I've, I've, I like to think that I've learned quite a bit about in the last few years I've been doing this. It's also intriguing because, um, I find it somewhat countercultural. We, we have, I think, in our society, in our economy, a, a pro-exit bias. And, and, you know, we talk with entrepreneurs, you talk to venture capitalists, you talk to, to people in business, and, and the goal is about exiting. How do I get out? How do I jump off the plane? How do I sort of take my chips off the table and retire and have a boat that is so big that when people step on it, it does not move? Um, and, and, and that's fine sort of as far as it goes, but I think it, it, it does kind of other options and injustice because, there is no law out there that says that the only way to become wealthy and financially self-sufficient, financially independent, and financially impactful is to is to have an exit. In fact, and maybe this is something I'll I'll, I'll do in a podcast later, but there is significant empirical data that suggests that one of the worst things you can do to preserve family wealth over an extended period of time is exit. And the reason for that is, is, is twofold. One is because now you're liquid, so it's easier to do dumb things with your wealth because you can now spend it. Um, and, and second is that when there's no longer a family enterprise, um, there's less of a reason for the family to be cohesive. It's, it's easier for everybody to kind of go off and do their own things. And you lose some of the, the scale economies benefit of having that that wealth kind of amassed and, uh, and, and in one place. And, and when it comes to wealth, the sum often is greater than the sum of its parts in terms of the impact that you can make. So I think it's important to have this voice out there that talks about the other options available other than, uh, than, than simply exiting because you don't necessarily need to do that. And, um, uh, I'm not necessarily an expert, but I scratched my head for about two seconds and then remembered a friend of mine who is an expert. 
And that friend of mine is Bruce Gaines. And Bruce is a founding shareholder of Kitchens Kelly Gaines, has over 40 years of experience helping clients. And before practicing law, I worked in the tax department of a national accounting firm and became a CPA. So he's, he's the, your double threat. His law practice focuses on corporate estate planning and tax matters. His work involves all sizes and forms of entities. He handles matters concerning the full business life cycle, beginning with organizational structuring and formation. As businesses and professional practices develop and grow, Bruce helps them properly document and protect themselves through the use of operating and shareholder agreements, independent contractor and employment contracts, non-disclosure and non-compete agreements, and other documents. As clients look for exit strategies, Bruce negotiates merger and acquisition documents, advises families on gifting techniques, formulates reorganization strategies, and spearheads family and tax planning. And, and I'll add to that is that he's also the longtime host. I don't know if he's the founder or not. We'll ask him about that. But he's the host of the Succession Planning Group, which uh, he's been hosting in Buckhead for as long as I've known him, which has been over a decade, which involves a group of professionals that talk about not exiting, but actually the process of of planning for succession and planning for enterprises to go beyond simply their founder or their their direct descendants. As part of his work for business owners, executives, and professionals, Bruce maintains an estate planning practice, counseling individuals and families in their tax reduction and asset transfer strategies. As a consequence of his involvement in trust and estate law, Bruce has extensive experience helping clients with probate matters. Bruce, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So, um, Bruce, like I said, I've, I've teed you up. You know, I think you're about as knowledgeable about succession planning as certainly as anybody I know. So let's, let's help people understand what that is. I have a vocabulary reset here or a vocabulary set. What is succession planning? Okay. Well, actually, uh, let me say that at the outset that I think – that I view the whole topic a little more broadly than you do, because I look at this kind of planning as being alternative choices about uh, do we, for instance, keep the company uh, with insiders, and by insiders I mean uh, people who are perhaps uh, – uh, relatives or people who are not relatives, relatives, but who are working inside the business? Uh, or do we have this go to outsiders? And that's an important question because all businesses or all, all, all owners of businesses are going to exit at one point or another. They may do it voluntarily. They may do it involuntarily. Uh, involuntarily might be going bankrupt, might be just closing down the business because it's, uh, uh they're tired of doing it, uh, might be, um, uh, uh, just, um, uh, dying or becoming disabled. And so they might leave, uh, as they say, uh, uh, feet first. Um, so the, uh, the role of, of, uh, our law firm is to help our clients maintain control of what's going to happen in their future. And some of that may involve uh, disposing of the business in a way that's uh, perhaps more favorable to the owner, uh, either because they are happy that they are keeping it within the family or keeping it within the employee group or because they uh, are going to cash out and sell to a third party. Uh, those are the two primary uh, ways that uh, businesses are disposed of in one one fashion or another. And... Um, 
the other way that sometimes you see, it's not very common, but there are also opportunities to uh, go out of a business through an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan. But that really requires a whole different set of, of circumstances. You, you absolutely have to have a bunch of people who are there who can operate the business without you, which sometimes you have, you have people who can be successful as long as the owner is there. Uh, their ability to succeed going forward is dependent sometimes upon them having the proper direction or the proper knowledge. Uh, furthermore, they've got to be able to uh, run the business uh, in a manner where cash flows enough so that so that the ESOP works. And by the ESOP working, that means that that the ESOP is able to uh, pay normally through a loan, pay for the purchase of the stock of the owner. Okay. Yeah, and, and and that's fair, and and, and certainly, um, in fact, later today we're we're recording a podcast on exiting the business through a sale. Um, but you know, I, I this is my own personal opinion. I do think that the the exit by sale is sort of the sexier, higher visibility kind of path, right? Everybody loves a good exit. Nobody really, nobody ever writes in the Wall Street Journal about a a, a sort of a peaceful transition of a business internally. Right. Um, but it's important, obviously, to sort of have all those options on the table. Yes. I, I think they all need to be considered together. And uh, the same solution doesn't work for all uh, businesses. Every, right. every business is different and, and the considerations are, are different. But the whole idea in, in, in putting together a succession plan is, is to evaluate, make that evaluation of what's the proper next step for the business. Um, put it down in writing in a written plan and then to implement that plan. Um, and normally that's something that takes, uh, place over time. And, and so, uh, you know, ideally we'd like to have at least a few years, some say maybe as many as five, but, uh, we want to be able to plan this out because, uh, not every business is ready for some form of disposition whether it's again, whether it's internal or whether it's external, uh, it it does take some planning in advance. Yeah, and you know, like you said, I I, I think that's a great quote. We we all will exit, right? Sometimes voluntarily, sometimes not. And if you really decide you're going to hang on to the very end, it's sort of it it's sort of feet first. Um, and, and so when we talk about and what I like about what you're describing too is that sometimes a succession plan means that a succession in the classical sense just may not be feasible, right? right. Or it, it may, and it may not be feasible from an economic perspective. It may not be feasible from a family politics perspective. Um, things that have nothing to do at least directly with economics. So, you know, and if you know how to do that, if you kind of know that going in, right, that make, means you're not going to waste a lot of time and energy on things that just aren't going to work out. Right. And I think right. that's, you know, that, that's critical. And, and sometimes you have to find out what's going to work out and what's not because sometimes the owner assumes that, uh, something, something will work, uh, but they don't necessarily have the objectivity that, uh, that is required to, um, uh, to evaluate it. Sometimes they don't even have the conversation, particularly if they want to keep it inside the family. They just assume that uh, son or daughter is ready to take over the business. And when you talk to son and daughter, they may not have any intention at all of staying in the business after mom or dad is gone. 
and, and I think I think adding to that, I mean, you know, we we both know we've been around long enough. We know that when you have this Venn diagram of family and money, conversations get awkward. Yes. <laughs> right? At a minimum, or sometimes they never happen at all, which is where kind of where we come back to the succession planning. Um, and and, and I, I'm curious if you agree with my observation. I think for a lot of business owners, succession planning is up there with writing a will and taking out a life insurance policy because, in some respect, you're confronting your mortality. Yes, uh, it's it's, but it's more than that because uh, you know sometimes people have an awful lot tied up in their in their business in terms of their own uh, self evaluation, their own ego, etc., their own um, purpose in life is sometimes tied up in in what they do uh, forty plus hours a week, and so for a lot of people, it may be even um, more difficult than death because after after death, uh, they they've there's, there's not much that they need to do, but uh, during their lifetime, they got to figure out, okay, uh, how is this going to affect the way I look at myself? How is this going to affect the way other people look at me and treat me? Are they going to ignore me now that I'm no longer the boss? Uh, and then they also have to confront, well, what am I going to do now? You know, Am I going to be happy playing golf seven days a week or tennis or whatever else they might do? Uh, uh, what's, what are they going to do to find any kind of meaning at all in in their existence. Some people have a great deal of difficulty facing that. Uh, just this past week, I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, left an executive position in a major company, and he's not had any problem at all. But I do find that uh, that uh, his uh, carefree uh, feeling about what he was uh, what he's doing now is probably uh, less common. Then the complaint of, uh, I left my business. Now I got, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it is I want to do with myself. So uh, when a lot of people think about a succession planning, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people's minds turn to this notion of managing tax liability, you know, and taxes in a, in a succession can be very important. In fact, you know, one reason between the, the New York Yankees and the Washington Redskins that they apparently, you know, the, the Yankees apparently had very good tax planning because the Steinbrenners still own the team, mm-hmm. right? But when Jack Kent Cook died, the Washington Redskins did not. And Dan Snyder and people are going to start booing at their radios now if they're a Redskins fan. But Dan Snyder's owned that team primarily because they couldn't afford to pay the taxes to keep the team basically. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, that's part of it, but it's also more than that, isn't it? Well, yes, the, the taxes are important because certainly um, almost every client wants to minimize uh, state gift income taxes, and that's going to be part of the plan is is to consider those those uh, uh, aspects of it because it's going to have a direct impact on what the owner is going to be able to take away from the business, and and by the way, that's that's irrespective of whether whether it's an a uh, an inside or outside transfer. Uh, you got to figure, think about the taxes either way. Um, but that's not the, the only goal of, of entering into the, uh, succession planning arena and, and doing so with both feet and, and being serious about, uh, this as a critical part of, of the business and the business life cycle. Um, you, you want to, uh, Figure out, for instance, for the owner, if they're going to dispose of the company and they might be bought out by a third party or might be bought out by 
an insider. Uh, what is it that they're really going to need in order to retire or move on to the next phase of their of their life? Uh, they also want to think about, and this is why it takes some planning and some advanced preparation. They want to think about uh, what it is they need to do, if if anything, to build their business to get to that point where they're going to walk away with enough money to uh, to satisfy themselves. They've got to uh, get each element of the business um, that they can under contract. When I talk about element of the business, I'm talking about having employees who will, uh, have agreed contractually to stay on for a particular period of time to, to not compete with the company um, because a buyer isn't going to want to buy a business and then find out that the sales force just left and created their own uh, competing company. And that's, that's a, a, a serious risk. Uh, normally you want to find a, um, management team that's going to stay on that that with with whom you've had a serious discussion about the fact that their uh being hired or being their continued employment is premised upon the fact that there are they are going to be around after the sale uh and and it may be appropriate to compensate them for that but that would be uh a, a matter of arranging things in a way a smart way so that uh, your management team doesn't walk off uh, just as you're negotiating a uh, a, a transfer of the, the, the stock, again, either to an insider or outsider. These are considerations really for either situation. Um, may, may be that you need to increase the earnings, the uh, EBITDA, uh, the earn- earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. It may involve even jettisoning certain aspects of the business to make it attractive for uh, the next owners to come in. I'm working on a case right now where we've got a company that uh, is in the construction uh, business and they've got a retail operation. And the retail operation is is a little bit of a, of a, uh, a uh, distraction both in terms of time and money, and it's not part of their core business, and it makes their company less attractive to others who who might be coming along. And they're, they're in a situation where they've got people inside the business, a younger generation inside the business that could take it over, but they might decide to go sell to an outsider. And, you know, these things, these things you're talking about, they are so much more expensive to solve when there's a transaction on the table than when there isn't, right? That's right, that's right. Because... These people are not dumb if you hired correctly, mm-hmm. and they're going to understand when they have leverage. Yes, right, and and that gets to you know looking at things years in advance. It's not just because businesses are aircraft carriers and they just have a very long or wide turning radius. It's also you can just imagine if you go to an employee and said, you know what, I'd I'd like to sell my business and I've got twenty million dollar offer on the table, but they won't they won't do that deal unless you agree to stay for two years, right? Well, well, well. Right. <laughs> right. I'm going to call my attorney and right. I'll be back in touch with you in about a week or so with my list of requests. Right. In order to agree to a stay bonus and signing my a non-compete. terrorist yeah. demands. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. So now I introduced the show from a long-term succession planning perspective, but there's also there's also a different time horizon, which is the short-term succession planning perspective too, right? And, and really, it, it's more like contingency planning or an unexpected succession, but nevertheless, it's a kind of succession, right? I mean, that, that's something that's also important to think about, isn't it? Right. It is. It is. I've, 
Uh, many years ago, I had a client, and succession planning is not just for uh, brick-and-mortar businesses. It can be for service businesses. And this particular client was a CPA who had a firm that had no other CPAs in it. He had essentially bookkeepers working for him. And he was concerned about his clients. Uh, and uh, it wasn't really quite as much a matter of how am I going to make money out of this, but he was concerned about what happens if something happens, you know, I die, become disabled, who's going to take over my practice and see that my client's tax returns get filed on a timely basis. And so um, frequently, if you had a, a firm that had several accountants, you might have some sort of buy-sell agreement uh, between the the uh, the owner the uh, of, of the practice and people who were familiar with the clients who were working on the clients. They would be the logical people to take it over. But he didn't have that because he it couldn't continue as a CPA firm unless it had a CPA who was who was uh, running the firm. And so uh, what we actually did is we reached out to a, a friendly competitor. And we did a buy-sell agreement between the two CPAs. And so that if one or the other uh, were to uh, be unable to continue to practice, the the one who was able to continue would be able to take it over. There would be a set formula for uh, determining what was going to be paid for that. And um, uh, it would then inure to the benefit of the uh, possibly disabled uh CPA or perhaps to the family if the CPA passed away. Um, so that's the, that's the contingency type of planning that really is, is still part of that larger picture of succession planning. Uh, when we do think of succession planning, traditionally we think about something that's more long term, three years, five years, as I mentioned, uh, and it would involve, uh, trying to, uh, possibly improve the businesses in in uh so that the next uh uh parties are able to run it more successfully or pay more for it or able to achieve some other goal okay so um when we talk about a succession plan is it something that needs to be a formal document do do people maybe just take notes on their phone is it on a napkin someplace is there a 60 page document what in your mind is the kind of deliverable, if you will, of a succession plan? Well, I think it's very important to have one that's written. Does it have to be that way? No, but I think it's much better because if you have a written plan, it, it records what your thought was back in 2019. And then, you know, in 2027, when you're looking back at it, you've got some sort of uh, track record of of what did you have in 2019? How have things changed? And it's part of your overall general strategic plan for the business. But the succession plan itself is, is uh, something that ought to be writing a for the owner himself, uh, or herself and then B for, um, others. If the owner is no longer around, if we do have that situation where, uh, the owner, uh, is, is taken out of the business rather suddenly. Uh, so at least they've got some sort of uh, idea. Plus, it becomes the basis for how you're going to make the business better. And and uh, uh, there is a lot of legal documentation that can go along with it. And in, in addition to a overall sort of non-legal strategic plan, it may involve getting uh, uh, restrictive covenants or what they, what we sometimes call covenants not to compete or covenants not to solicit. Uh, 
maybe maybe a function of getting that in place, getting confidentiality agreements in place. It may uh, be other forms of buy-sell agreements, maybe even um, agreements that deal with co-ownership, such as shareholder agreements or, or LLC operating agreements in place. It may involve having a lease. A lot of uh, businesses are, at least in part, the success of the business is dependent upon their location. If you don't have a good lease or its lease is not long enough or you've not uh, uh, uh negotiated the right right kind of terms, it'll have a significant impact on either the saleability or value of the of the company or both. Um, yeah, and it seems to me the way you describe a succession plan, it sounds like kind of a a business plan, but with a very narrow specific focus. Is that fair? Well, it doesn't have to be a, a, a narrow specific focus. I mean, the, 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 the plan itself... I think is an integral part of your overall uh, uh, business paperwork in terms of having something that that is strategic, something that uh, that looks at the various elements in the business, and that has uh, implementary documents such as the legal legal agreements to keep management in place. Okay. But so we're talking about legal agreement, but a succession plan itself doesn't necessarily have to be a legally binding agreement, Correct. right? It would refer to those legally binding agreements, and and it might uh, uh, have, as I say, the sort of things you would ordinarily find in a strategic plan. Uh, it might have how are we going to improve these these earnings before uh, taxes, etc. What we call EBITDA, um, and it might uh, have. Uh, in there, um, what's going to happen to the business? Who are the people who are going to be capable of taking it over? The functions that the owner is is performing uh, at at the current time, if there are functions that they're uh, f- performing, who's going to who's going to perform those functions? So, uh, as my own kind of war story with with succession planning and, and non legally legally versus non legally binding, um, a client of mine right, that I'm working with right now is working through. Uh, a nasty shareholder divorce, and the 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 genesis of that divorce is the fact that my client, who's the majority shareholder of that company, had conversations with the minority shareholder about maybe someday down the line, right? Majority shareholder would agree to be bought out by the minority shareholder, but with no particular commitment, no particular timeline. And then one day, for reasons that are not clear. The minority shareholder said, you know what? I got to have this thing now. I just do. And, you know, my client wasn't ready to do that yet. Um, and it, 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 it's led to, as I said, kind of a nasty kind of shareholder split that I don't think has been really positive for either party in all candor. Um, but thank God that there was not a legal agreement in place. Because one person was ready to do that transaction, the other person wasn't. So, you know, the benefit of some flexibility, I think, has served my client very well in that regard. Well, it does serve uh, uh, clients well in some regards. On the other hand, there are situations where um, the minority uh, partner has has a a particularly particular or critical skill, 
and and walking away from the deal or having the company split can be very damaging to both parties. Uh, while if they had properly discussed and documented, it's not just a question of of some lawyer coming along and in, in, uh, 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 imposing upon the parties some particular paperwork. It's really uh, the the situation that you described might very well have been handled best not by lawyers but by by um, just frank conversations and honest conversations. And sometimes when uh, when I represent the minority owner or, or somebody who's coming into a business, uh, the commitment to transfer the business to the person who's coming in, and frequently you got to understand they may be leaving another really good position. They're, they're somebody of value for a reason. They've got a, a history of success. They've got perhaps promises um, for other opportunities that they're walking away from. And normally I would want to see uh, some sort of agreement up front of what is, what's going to happen in over what period of time. And so that these things would be agreed to up front. Um, we uh, would want to have that so that uh, everybody knows at least at the outset, you never, you never can predict the future. You never know if, if things are going to work out as, as either the parties or their lawyers hope, but at least you've got a, a plan that can be altered, can be amended, may need to be amended, but uh, a plan uh, where we don't have people second thinking all, all of this and 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 having one party dedicate himself or herself to a particular course of action and then having the other party uh, not comply. So you said something that I want to underscore because I think it's it's quite smart, and that is that part of the calculus here is identifying individuals that are absolutely critical to the ongoing kind of continuity, success, and value of the company, right? So that that succession discussion may take a di- – and probably will take a different flavor, a different character depending on the nature of the person involved, right? right? And in some cases – and I have business owners, and I think you have clients like this too – they identify individuals they just want to take care of, right? They've served the company loyally for 25, 30 years, want to give them a little something on the way out to thank them for their service and loyalty. And, and then, and then there are others where, like you said, this business becomes less valuable because that person is in it, or at least it's a massive pain in the neck mm-hmm. to try to then have to recover with that person out of the business, or even just if they're disgruntled and for whatever reason they understood something differently from what the other shareholder did. And, you know, a disgruntled shareholder employee can do immense damage to a business without even leaving. Right. Right. They right. can, they can break a lot of China on <laughs> the can. way out. So, so part of that decision process and the succession is, is, is assessing kind of who needs to be taken care of and what their role is in terms of a, a successful succession. Correct. And, and it may be that if, uh, if you've got somebody who's not capable of, uh, of running the business themselves, uh, but they're the, you, you, you've got some reason to believe that they're not going to take direction from anybody other than the, the current owner, you may need to remove them from where they are before you ever begin the discussion because they may be the, the, um, uh, problem and, and, 
setting a succession up. You, you may have vital tasks that they are accomplishing, but if they're not going to do that for somebody else, you may need to get somebody in there ahead of time to, to, uh, fulfill that role. So I think we made a pretty strong case that a succession plan is desirable and there's some exposure there if, if you don't have one. So I'd like to move ahead and talk about can we identify maybe the three most important features of a good succession plan? I, there are actually 28, but we don't have time to go through 28. No, nobody will remember more than three. So if we had to sort of pick three, what, what might they be? Well, I think, uh, you know, my, I, I tend to agree with you with the, with the, the, the 28. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the, the most important thing is to assess the business because I think the three most important things are going to change depending upon what business you're talking about. And so in some cases, it's going to be um, driving uh, a higher EBITDA because that's the only way that the owner is going to be able to get out. In other situations, it may be resolving, and this is particularly the case in family businesses, resolving how are my kids going to get along after I'm out of the picture? Will they get along? I'm, I'm dealing, uh, right now with a rather new client. Uh, so I've sort of jumped into the middle of the, the fray, but <laughs> we've got one sibling who died, one sibling who's, who's detached, two siblings who are, uh, the, 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 the uh, spouse of the deceased sibling and, and another sibling who are half in and half out. And, and we've got a, significant problem because we've got to deal with who is going to own what aspect of the business and how is any kind of transition going to be financed. And in fact, I was brought into the business, uh, referred into the business by the banker who was trying to help them solve the financial aspect to this. And, you know, unfortunately, this this business did not have a succession plan. That was good. It's, it's a, it's a successful business, uh, in some ways because it's in the third generation of, of, uh, of the business, but it's, it's, um, because of the lack of, of planning, having written, agreed upon, uh, plans for this, there's kind of a mess there right now. So the, the, the segues very nicely into the next kind of next question that I have, which is, you know, a succession plan, to my mind, is a fairly intimate document for the family, if it's going to continue to be a family business. You've been very clear it doesn't have to be that way, but certainly for the business. How, you know, how do you help businesses kind of formulate those plans and make sure that they work correctly? Well, I think the thing that, uh, that we need to do first is to assess what the, you know, what the, um, what the objectives really are. And, and part of that involves finding, figuring out what is it that, um, that needs to be done with this respective business and then bringing in the proper advisors to help them do that. And there are people who are dedicated, if you will, or, or, or hold themselves out as, People who do nothing but gen are, are succession planning generalists who try to look at a take a holistic view of the company, uh, delve deeply into uh, various aspects. They might be spending uh, significant amounts of time 
uh, in, in the business, learning what's going on, getting a, an independent view of this, this business and then making recommendations. Um, sometimes there are situations where you've got a lack of legal documentation. You may need business lawyers in there. You may need some estate planning lawyers in there. Uh, I, I usually cover both the business and the estate planning. Uh, because you've got significant tax issues, as you mentioned before. It may involve getting the proper accountants in, involved. I've got a, a case right now where uh, the entire accounting is is based upon some people whose loyalty to the company is not assured. And so you may need to get the proper uh, accountants in there so that they get their arms around uh, what this business is worth. I'm dealing with another business. As a matter of fact, I was talking to my client on the way over here. And, um, again, a new client. She's allowed a, a management company to run the business for the last several years. And the management management company uh, just has completely fallen down in terms of, of providing proper accounting and proper records and, and general ledgers and things like that. So sometimes you just got to get the, that right person in there. It may involve getting financial planners or insurance agents in there. It may involve getting a business broker if, if we're going to sell to a, to a third party. Maybe that we need to get a business broker in there or an investment banker if it's a larger business. Uh, may need to get a, uh, business valuation person involved because it may, might very well be that the, owner has no idea of what their business is worth or no accurate idea of what their business is worth. Thank you for that, by the way. Appreciate <laughs> that. Um, well, Bruce, we're, we're running out of, uh, out of time, and I know you've got a lot to do, and we, we yanked you many miles out of town to record this. So, um, And as you've indicated, there are 28 other things that, that could be looked at here. If somebody wants to learn more about succession planning and wants to ask you a question about it, maybe they would even like your help. How can they best contact you? Well, I can be uh, called. I mean, I, uh, my office is, is uh, inside the Atlanta, Georgia perimeter, uh, what we call the perimeter highway, uh, just off of 400, Georgia 400. Um, I can be reached by phone at 404-467-7526. That's my direct dial. Uh, I can be found on the Internet. Our firm can be found at www kkgpc.com and kkgpc stands for kitchens kelly Gaines professional corporation so i can be reached by either either of those means all right very good well that's going to wrap it up for today's program i'd like to thank bruce Gaines so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us we'll be exploring a new topic each week so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision you have clear vision when making it if you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.